Man, I don't know about you guys, but uh, it's been a busy Sunday morning. I don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling of, like rushing around and getting things done and rushing to church. And we had a small group leader meeting in the office before this. And Corey's not here this morning, so there's a little bit of stuff that needed to be taken care of when we got here. And, um, and I thought for sure that I would have time to pee. I did not. So if I start talking quickly, you'll know what's happening, just wrapping things up. Um, man, but I, I say all that to say that uh, I would love to pray um, for myself and, uh, and for us as well. If, if any of you just feel like you need to quiet yourselves and get in the presence of God, I know we just worshipped and hopefully we were doing some of that too then. Um, but, but if you don't mind, I'd love to pray again. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne together. God, we quiet ourselves and come before you and, and focus on who you are, the creator of the universe. Hmm the one who bestows his image upon us, that each person in this room could claim to be in the image of the eternal God of the universe. And God, you are perfect and your ways are above our ways. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. And yet you're immediate. You are near. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. You are holy and good and set apart and perfect in every way. And thank God, God, that there is no sin in you. And you are just and merciful, perfect. And yet, you pursue us at all costs proving that there's nothing that you wouldn't do to be with us even while we were yet still sinners. God, thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, for your humility, for your excellence, for your glory, and for your presence. May our hearts be open to you and to what it is that you have to say to us this morning. May we be attentive to you and your word for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some gifts are given just for fun, right? Just for enjoyment. We had a, a gathering of district pastors, specifically Wesleyan pastors here in Minnesota. Um, and by the way, thanks to Naomi and Holly and Aaron and Brian who helped serve and, and make that possible. There are a group of people here that, that blessed um, our Minnesotan Wesleyan pastors and allowed us to celebrate Christmas together. And that was awesome. And while we were there, we played a white elephant Christmas game. And, uh, and Valerie and I walked away with some winnings. That being one of them. Didn't know that. But this, I mean, this bad boy right here, I think, like, I think we won the game. So we also got this. Uh, Antelope? Gazelle. I don't know. Let's call it a gazelle. And this 
Rhino, and a $10 gift card to Coldstone. So anyways, if anybody is in the market for a black Rhino ceramic, we've got, we've got you covered. See me after service, and uh, yeah, I'll get that to you. So Yeah, um, I am thinning up there, so it'll come in handy eventually. Some gifts also send a message. Some gifts are for fun. Some gifts also have a message that comes with them. And uh, let me show you what I mean by this. Let's, let's see the first one. So, a loved one gives you a high-end scale for Christmas. <laughs> and there might be a message that comes along with that. Or how about this one? A vacuum cleaner. Actually, there's a, um, there was a more modern advertisement of getting your wife a vacuum cleaner, but I decided to go with this one. Um, we've also got this one. Some Christmas deodorant. <laughs> so if somebody gives you a, a set of deodorant, there might be a message there for you. Um, here's another good one, right? Uh, Planet Fitness gym membership. See, there are some gifts that you just need to talk about ahead of time, right? And, uh, and here's the last one, a gift card uh, for plastic surgery. Actually, the, the American Society of Plastic Surgeons has tips for making this gift go over smoother, for the holidays. So if you're feeling inspired and you want to check out those tips, you might want to read a couple articles. Just uh, um, I read this story online of a person who shared this story. It was their worst Christmas gift ever. They said, I got a book called Coping with Being Adopted from Santa while I was in high school was news to me. <laughs> There's a gift that had a message along with it. Yeah, um, there are some gifts out there that carry a more positive message, right? Like, uh, like this one, for example, an engagement ring. Um, yeah, I, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Has a has a good message behind it. Or if you gave your this to your kids, tickets to to Disney. The message behind it is we're going on a vacation, and it's going to blow your minds, and it's going to be mostly about you. <laughs> Yeah, a positive message. So, we're in our second week of Advent, and I want to unwrap Jesus' gift of peace to us. And what I've found is I think there's also a message behind it that I want to share with you. So, that'll be a little cliffhanger, just to, just to keep you focused. Um, man, peace is an interesting word, I think. I mean, the truth is, when I say the word peace, all of us have a different mental image, something that comes to mind. Or when it comes to how, how do we live peacefully, I think different people might have different ideas in our culture about what needs to happen in order for us to get along peacefully and what that should look like for us to get along peacefully. But if I'm honest, this concept of peace is it for us, is it for uh, middle-class Americans, day-to-day Minnesotan existence? When's the last time that you just went, God, I really need peace? 
or when we consider that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, when's the last time that really meant anything to you? You say, God, thank you so much that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I wonder, okay, so, so automatically I go, maybe if we were in a wartime, maybe if we were under threat, maybe if we were persecuted Christians, Jesus as the Prince of Peace would mean something different to me. But then I also go, I don't know. Because if I'm in the middle of conflict, if my life is being threatened and I feel in danger, legitimate danger, then how much, how much do I go, God, thank you for being uh, a God of peace? When I, when I don't know how much I'm experiencing that peace. I told someone recently that our three sons uh, are giving me a deeper and sweeter appreciation for peace. Right? But the truth is that idea of peace and quiet isn't necessarily what the biblical authors have in mind when they say the word peace. Corey mentioned last week that the, the Jews at the time of Jesus are under Roman occupation. And so when, when they hear the word peace, what would that mean to them? You could imagine that they might have in mind freedom from oppression or maybe independence without opposition. That might be, what they, that might be how they conceive of the word peace. Uh, for Gandhi or the Dalai Lama, the word peace might automatically have connotations of, of nonviolence. Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah, and one of the titles that he gives to him is the Prince of Peace. And the biblical authors definitely don't have in mind the, the Prince of Peace and Quiet. So what is peace? And is it for us? Do we need it? That's what we're kind of going to dig into today what we want to unwrap. Um, the word peace for the Jewish people would have been the word shalom. Guys at the Bible Project have an excellent video on shalom. We're not going to watch it, but you can if you want to. Bible Project, shalom. Uh, they define shalom as something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness. I like that picture. I also like the idea of, of um, something that a complex thing that, that works according to God's design for it. Um, in Genesis 37, 14, let me just share with you a couple ways that, that shalom is used in the Bible. Jacob sends Joseph to check on the shalom of his brothers and the shalom of their flocks. Right? So we're not just saying, man, <laughs> check on the, the make sure your, your flock is experiencing peace. Check on the shalom of, of your flocks. We want to know about their welfare. Are they healthy? Um, is any of them lost? Uh, are, are any of them ill? All of that is, is the shalom of the flock. In Exodus 18.7, Moses and his father-in-law, they greet one another and ask each other of their shalom. How is your shalom? In other words, is everything well with you? Let me ask you of your shalom. And we see that a lot in Scripture where people greet one another by asking, how is your shalom? Sometimes someone will ask for permission to do something or go somewhere, and the response will be, so, so you're asking permission to do something, and the response will often be, go in peace or go in shalom. 
In other words, go in the knowledge that this plan is good between us. Oh, you're asking permission to take your flocks to, to that land over there? Go in shalom. That's good to me, and it's good to you, and that works well for us. Go in shalom. Psalm 41.9 speaks of a shalom friend as someone that the psalmist trusts and shares food with. A close friend. A shalom friend. Proverbs 3.17 says that all the paths of wisdom are shalom, which by now might mean something different than if we just said all the paths of wisdom are peace. It doesn't necessarily mean, hey, if you follow wisdom, there won't be conflict, or, or that there, you follow wisdom, there won't be violence. But it, part of what it means is you follow wisdom, and chances are it'll lead to uh, healing and reconciliation, and it'll lead to welfare. In Deuteronomy 27.6, Stones can be shalom if they are uncut. So a stone that has, is whole, is not marred by an iron tool, is considered shalom stone. Boaz speaks a blessing on Ruth that her wages would be shalom. May there be enough for you. In 1 Kings 11.4, Solomon's heart is said to not be shalom devoted to the Lord. It's not wholly devoted to the Lord because he worships other gods. His devotion to God is divided, and so he doesn't experience shalom. His heart does not have shalom devotion to God. There's another word in the Bible, uh, iniquity, or avan. Avan is the Hebrew word. And it's maybe the opposite of the word shalom. The word means sin, but it has these connotations of brokenness. Shalom is, is wholeness and complex things working in harmony according to God's design. Then avan is sin that causes brokenness. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says that our iniquities, our avan, separates us from God. Our sins have hidden his face from us. He doesn't pay attention to our prayers because of it. And so shalom is a, is a wholeness and a rightness, and we can be shalom-hearted towards God. We can be wholly devoted to him, and our relationship with him can be right. But avan, iniquity, brokenness, sin, it separates us from him and causes him to be hidden from us. And sin is the one thing that disrupts shalom more than anything else. You read scripture, you think about the meaning of shalom, even the fall of man, even the first sin and the, the resulting conflict and, and fall that happens. Sin is this enormous disruptor of shalom. In Malachi Chapter 2, verse 6, God describes Levi as someone who walked with God in shalom and turned many back from iniquity or brokenness. So we see how these um, words are, are relating to each other. So now do we see how peace is relevant to us now or relevant to a persecuted Christian now? Are we shalom with God? Are you wholly devoted to God? Does your sin separate you from him? 
Am I shalom within myself? Or do I live in fear or anxiety or, or live by guilt or doubt? Are my circumstances and surroundings shalom? So shalom is, is this huge kind of everyday thing now. On Friday, for example, I sat next to a pastor at our, our pastor's Christmas celebration thing. And, uh, and he shared with us that his son struggles with mild polar, bipolar disorder. And his son recently moved a few blocks away from his dad, from this pastor um, and the pastor's wife, the son's mom. And they're, they're 70 years old, and the wife is dealing with some sickness right now, but they are the primary uh, caretakers of their grandchildren. So 70-year-old mom who's not feeling well um, is the, the primary mom to her grandchildren. The children are about seven years old. The mom of these children is homeless and she's an addict and there's a warrant out for her arrest. And some of you have this kind of similar situation in your lives. This isn't foreign to us. This isn't news to us. What does the word shalom encompass for this family? What would it be like for them to experience shalom? I mean, can you imagine the healing that would have to take place of these complex relationships and, and all of this situation, all of this brokenness? And you insert the word shalom into that. And what, is, what would shalom, what picture of their family, what restoration would have to take place in order for that family to experience shalom? So when Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What comes to mind isn't peace and quiet. It's not freedom and independence. It's not a lack of war and nonviolence. It's some of those things. There's overlap with those things, but it's more than that. Today I want to give you three ways that Jesus gives us peace. Us, here in this sanctuary today, and persecuted Christians, and this pastor that I sat next to with these complex relationships. Three ways that Jesus is the Prince of Peace for each one of us. That it's relevant and practical and makes sense for us. And I'm not talking about something that happens later in the future that we're still waiting for. Number one, Jesus gives us peace with God. So, so in Scripture, peace is a, a biblical metaphor for salvation. And you might not know this, but there are a lot of metaphors for salvation, right? So there's family language, familial metaphors for salvation. The idea that we're adopted sons and daughters of God or, or co-heirs with Christ. That's a, a familial metaphor to understand salvation. There's financial language, the idea that our debt has been paid. There's a financial metaphor to help us understand salvation. There's also legal language, this idea that Jesus takes our place and he bears the punishment for our sin. And there's, there's other 
metaphors for salvation that we see in Scripture, but there's also a biblical metaphor of peace that's used to describe salvation. Acts 10.36 says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news, the gospel of peace, through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That's one of the earliest characterizations of the gospel. Peace. Colossians 1.19-23 explains it a little more fully. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Peace with God. I mean, I I don't think that we fully, like, a lot of us don't necessarily appreciate that. There was a a time in America, and, and John Wesley During John Wesley's time, John Wesley has sermons about it where people would experience conviction, where they would feel the weight of their guilt, but they wouldn't have hope because they hadn't yet heard about Jesus, because they hadn't yet heard the gospel. There were people, and it happens today for sure, but more rarely, there are people who who are under this understanding that there's something wrong with, with me and my relationship with God. Things aren't right. I have sin that I will be held accountable for, and there's this enormous weight on me. Someone was sharing with me today. Um, they were talking on the phone with their, their friend and uh, their friend who lost someone recently. And the, the friend on the phone said, you know, she's, she's, a, she's a good spiritual person, um, and so I know she's, she's in a good place right now. And this woman who goes to our church was talking to her, and she said, well, what do you mean by that? What's it mean that she's a, a spiritual person? And they kind of fleshed that out a little bit. Um, and, and she said, you understand who Jesus is, right? You understand that, that he's God, that he took on flesh, that he died for your sins, and that if, if you... Don't have faith in him. Don't have a relationship with him. If you deny Jesus, if you reject Jesus, then it doesn't matter how much good you do on earth. Doing good is is good. And there's benefit to it for sure. And, and God appreciates it. And we read of people in the in Scripture who, who God looks favorably upon because of their their mercy and their goodness. But you do understand who Jesus is. And there's that conversation that needed to take place because, I mean, Scripture says it right there, right? You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That, that, that before I knew God, before I was living for Him, with Him, there was a time in my life where I lived according to whatever my dreams, my desires, my will was and what what do we call that? We call that idolatry. I mean that's the sin of, of Adam and Eve. 
God, I don't want to live according to your way. I want to live according to my way. And that's what culture tells us to do. Pursue whatever makes you happy. Choose your own truth. And we don't. When we do that, Scripture says that we are enemies with God. And Jesus gives us peace with God. Through faith in Jesus, we're no longer enemies. Our sin no longer separates us. Our iniquities no longer hide him from us. There can be shalom between us and God. Our relationship with God is made right through Jesus. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us peace with God. And that is an enormous deal. A huge gift that couldn't have been done any other way. To Jesus gives us peace from God. Not only do we have peace with God, but we also have peace from God. And, and you might understand that as, as, as peace from knowing God. Peace from knowing about God even. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So there's this sense in which I get to have peace because I, I can have shalom because I know that God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. There's peace that comes with knowing that God knows me and he cares for me and he numbers the hairs on my head and he has his hand over me and that gives me peace. The pastor that sat next to me, he didn't have perfect shalom, but he knew that there was shalom between him and God and he knew that God was aware of his circumstances and he was working in them. There's a peace that comes from that. And lastly, Jesus gives us peace of God. And here's what I mean by that. You know, we live in a fallen world. And sin happens. And free will happens. And conflict happens. And natural disasters happen. None of us is immune from tragedy. And every person in this room will grieve. Every person in this room will suffer the loss of a loved one. We'll suffer the loss of health. And many of us, if not all of us, will have a loss of dreams and hopes that are impossible to fulfill. So even though there's peace that God is watching over us, what peace can we experience knowing that even when he's watching, he will most likely allow things to happen that are tragic? I mean, that is, that is a reality that we face. That Yeah, yeah God, I, I know that God, okay, works all, all things for good, works good in all things, but, but just, just to be real, at least in the short term, at least in our time on earth, there are things that happen to us and the bad will outweigh the good. God will use, God will use it for good. God will find good in it. But there are things where the bad will outweigh the good. And how are we supposed to have peace in the midst of that? Peace that when I'm not protected, I can still trust. 
I can trust that God is the only one fully equipped to do his job. I can trust that God is the only one that I want in his position. I can trust that God is faithful and trustworthy. And some of that is still intellectual. I just want you to notice, like, some of that is still, yeah, okay, because of who God is, I can trust in him and, and I can have peace through that. Um, I also love C.S. Lewis, who, who says, um, there are better things to come than any we leave behind. C.S. Lewis says that to a broad audience. And it's true for every one of them. For Christians, there are better things to come than any we leave behind. But you say that to somebody that's lost a child, and you say there are better things ahead. than any that we have to leave behind. And guys, there are things that you've left behind that you wanted for yourself, that you've grieved over, that you've mourned over. And the truth is, there are better things ahead. Because of our hope for eternity, because of Jesus' work on the cross, because of our our ability to one day be face-to-face with this unfathomable God who knows us and loves us. And the unity and peace and the joy that people have only barely tasted of during their time on earth. But all that is still us just using our intellect to give us peace. And I want you to know that there is peace of God. There is God's peace that is available to us, that I can ask for his peace to rule in my heart. There's a supernatural peace that comes of God when my heart and my intellect and my strength are failing me. And we're invited by God to experience this. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, even when you can't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense to you, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is a supernatural peace, peace of God, that will transcend all of your understanding that is accessible to you. Now, do you want to say that the goal of the Christian life is not to always have peace of mind? Uh, in fact, when, as I was reading, one of the things that I did was I just went, man, where in the Bible does it talk about peace? And one of the things that I came across was Paul, who said, I, I don't have peace of mind yet, because I haven't been able to find this person. And, uh, and And there's no sense that Paul is praying for peace of mind. There is a sense in which it's good for you and I to care. It's good for us to be compassionate. It's good for us to be concerned. So just want you to keep that in mind. The goal is not always that you would have um, perfect peace of mind all the time. But man, if there's something that's just causing you anxiety and, and, and you need peace. I don't know if you've ever been in that place before where you just go, God, I just need peace. 
I just need to stop thinking about this. I just need to stop racking my mind with this thought. There's supernatural peace for you. As we unwrap this present, we see three things. One, that we've been given peace with God. Enormous. Don't take that for granted. Don't cheapen that. Two, that we've been given peace from God. Knowing that that he watches over us and cares for us and works things for good and knowing that we can partner with him. And three, there's peace of God. There's God's peace, supernatural peace that's made available to us that God invites us to experience, tells us to experience. Now, we said before that presence can also come with a message. You see, the, the peace of Jesus is both a present and a purpose. The peace of Jesus is both a present and a purpose. Will you guys say that with me? The peace of Jesus is both a present and a purpose. And the purpose is, of course, part of the present. Like it's it's a it's a gift to have purpose. It's a it's not a it's not a, this dull obligation or burden that's placed on you because you've received this gift. It's part of the gift. It's an honor. It's a calling. It's a it's a partnership, and it should be a joy. He's called us to a greater purpose. And so when Jesus gives us the, the present of peace, he's also calling us to this purpose of peace. That often, that often happens with, I can't think of a gift that God gives us where he doesn't have purpose in mind for it. Where there's, he gives us a spiritual gift and, and he tells us to use it to equip the church for the building up of the church, to bless others, not for ourselves. See, Jesus, let me just share with you this purpose idea. Jesus is the prince of peace. And much of his work on earth revolves around bringing shalom, revolves around making things right, restoring things, healing things, redeeming things. And then Jesus calls us to follow him, to follow him in his ministry, to follow him in his work, to be his body, the body of Christ here on earth while he's ascended. There's this passage in Matthew 5, 44 to 45, where Jesus says that, If we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, we will be children of our Father in heaven. I love that. Why does he say that? Well, he he continues and he explains and he says, look at what God does. Look at what God does. He allows the sun to shine on the unrighteous and the righteous alike, and he allows the rain to fall on the unrighteous and righteous alike. Jesus says, look at what God does. He provides light and water. He provides essential sources of life. For everyone, even his enemies, even those who work against him. Jesus says, you want to be a child of God? There's this kingdom principle. It doesn't always work out biologically. Children don't always do what their, their father does biologically. But kingdom, spiritually, children do what their father does. Children do what their heavenly father does. There's this one place, another place that I know of where it uses language like this. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And you want to do what God does? You make peace. You bring shalom. You want to be God's child? You bring peace. You make shalom. You, you, you order things properly. You help to 
give things harmony. You bring healing, restoration, redemption. Because that's what God does. He makes things right. We're most like God when we're working towards shalom. And, and so we see the great lengths that God goes to to work towards shalom. You see the great lengths that God goes to, to towards making peace and making things right and securing for us the gift of peace. And consider how many generations before Jesus waited and were never new, never invited to experience the peace that we are invited to experience. Even that first one, peace with God, is something unique to you, to your generation, to Christians. Okay. Um, not the, so unique to many generations, but there are some generations that did not know it. Everything that we do that's intended to hurt shalom this is going to be strong language. And then I'm going to share a story and just point the finger at myself. So I hope you're okay with it. Um, everything that we do that's intended to hurt shalom is a slap in the face to Jesus. Do you understand that? Do you see how hard Jesus worked to make shalom possible? you see what he's called you to and what he's freed you from? The Holy Spirit is in you. Like God's gone to such great lengths to, to have you on his team. Anytime that we take vengeance, anytime that we return evil for evil, anytime that we prefer karma to grace, anytime that we just laugh at somebody for getting what they deserve, we take for granted the lengths that Jesus went to to work towards shalom. We belittle his mission. So I said I was going to point the finger at myself and... Uh, Need you guys to not judge me too harshly for this lapse in judgment and weak character that I'm about to share with you. I was at the quarry the other day and uh, the shopping center, and I parked the car and I started to make a beeline path for the door of Home Depot. And so I'm walking towards this door, and as I'm getting closer, there's a truck that starts to pass, and we're both going the, the same speed, and if neither one of us slows down, I will suffer for it. Um, and so one of us is going to have to stop. Uh, I stopped, and I'm waiting. And he slows down, but he never stops, and he keeps going. And as he's passing in front of me, he slows way down, and then he rolls down his window, <laughs> And I just, at this point, I'm just standing there, just waiting to cross. And, uh, and he looks at me, and he points behind his truck, and he says, there's a crosswalk right over there, bud. And he was right. There's a crosswalk like 40 feet or so to my right. And guess what? There's a crosswalk like 10 or 15 feet to my left. And... Um, and, and, and just like, okay, you're in a climate-controlled vehicle. It's below freezing outside. Who's the one that suffers here if someone has to wait 30 seconds? Um, with lots of justification for what just is about to happen. 
Um, so he says this to me, and, and here's my response. I go, <laughs> okay, man. And, I, and then I stare at him like he's my mortal enemy. Like if he gets out of the truck, it's going to not end well for him. And I watch him drive away with his tail between his legs, kind of. <laughs> right? I feel in many ways that, that my actions that day to walk to Home Depot were in the right. Man, I took about two steps and just the Holy Spirit convicted me and I thought, yeah, that did not represent Jesus well. Um, and I came home and I told my wife that story because I want her to know me, not just who I am in the house or at church, but also in the parking lot at Home Depot. I told that story to my small group, and I told that story at our staff meeting, and I tell that story to you guys, because I don't just want you to know, you know, I want you to know who I am, always. I want to be wholehearted with you guys, and, um, and vulnerable, and share my sin and my junk with you, and I just, that was all flesh. That was all just, that was old Keith. It really was, and it reminded me of my old self, and I just, Man, why did, I, why did I do that? Why couldn't I have just loved him? Shown him the love of Jesus. Work towards shalom. It's a perfect illustration of the, the simple ways, the small ways that we can ignore Jesus' work, hinder his desire for shalom. We're called to a purpose of shalom. We follow the Prince of Peace, and we are called to be agents of peace. The New Testament calls it peacemakers. But Jesus' peace is not just about experiencing shalom with one another. It's also about experiencing shalom with God. So Isaiah describes people who share God's message of peace with others The feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And another place, a minor prophet, Nahum, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. It's most likely these passages that Paul has in mind when he pens Ephesians 6, 15, which is written to all of us and it says with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the good news of peace so all three of these authors are writing about feet that bring good news of peace and Paul says man it's for every single Christian it's for every single one of you there's a message of peace that needs to be shared not only are we to act in a way that brings shalom even in the parking lot of Home Depot at the quarry, but we are to proclaim the good news of shalom, that Jesus makes it possible for us to be made right with God, that our iniquity, our brokenness, no longer has to separate us from God. And after all, that, that's what makes Jesus the Prince of Peace that he makes us right with God, that he brings us peace with God. 
Each one of us is to be a peacemaker. Each one of us is called to shalom, to live it, but also to proclaim it. I want you to imagine for a moment that Jesus shows up to you. That he shows up to you in a vision and he, and he says, I've given you the gift of shalom with God. You, you have peace between you and God. You're made right with him. You were his enemy and now you are not. And I've given you the gift of shalom from God. God is working in your life for your benefit. And I've given you the gift of shalom of God. God has a peace and he can give it to you. And you're invited to ask for it. Will you follow me in this way of shalom and join me in creating shalom? If Jesus said that to you, if he appeared to you, and if he said that to you, made that obvious to you and called you to it, what would be your mission? What would be some of the first things that you did? Would not part of it be to tell people about the peace that Jesus has secured for them, that he wishes for all of us to experience? Jesus gives us peace, and it's both a present and a purpose. As we, as we share this message, um, I took a couple liberties with it and just kept on preaching. So um, let me pray for us and uh, invite our worship team to come up. I'll ask you a few questions as we pray just to help prompt you. Heavenly Father, God, you have been speaking to us. Lord, is, is there someone in here that has a relationship that they're withholding shalom from? That there's conflict in their relationship and, and they're unwilling to make it right? God, would you help them to, to be a peacemaker? To fight for Christ's purposes and not against them? God, is there someone in here that has a habit in their life, a sin that's causing brokenness and is disrupting shalom? God, would you give them grace to overcome it? Grace for freedom from it. Or if they're not quite there yet, would you give them grace to want to overcome it? God, is there a person here that has someone in their life that needs to hear the message of shalom? God, my prayer for them is that you would give them grace to know that person in their life that needs the message. Make it obvious to us, God. God, maybe all of us in here need to ask that question of you right now. Who in my life needs to hear that, I, that they can have peace with God? Who in my life needs to hear this message of shalom? God, and as you give us people that come to our minds as we picture their faces or hear their names, Lord, it's my prayer that you would give us grace, that we would respond faithfully, and that you would bless our words as we speak to them 
and proclaim the message of peace to them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.